1: Hey everyone, it's Jen. And this is Lindsay. And welcome back to Corpus Delicti. We are in our Delayed Justice series. And tonight we have a familiar name for you in our story. Yeah,
2: so as we had mentioned in the last episode, you're going to hear some of these names again. It's not a two-for-one, but it is a two-for-one sort of. So this is the follow-up to that But yeah, real quick, two quick announcements. If you did not see it, if you are a Patreon supporter, we moved the date, and it's actually tonight. Uh, It was supposed to be on Thursday. It is now tonight at 7 p.m. The second one is we will have this episode, one more, and then we're off for a week again. That will be the week after Christmas, basically just so that we don't have to record and edit during the week of Christmas. So this one, another and a break. But yeah, without further ado, let's talk about this
1: story that we've been talking about since last episode. Now, this week's episode brings back eyewitness testimony and scent dog evidence. You may recognize a familiar name or two like we've spoken about before. On December 8, 1981, a 17-year-old girl. Now, we are just going to say Miss Smith because she was a minor during this incident. We do not want to release her name. She was taking classes to become a cosmetologist. So she came home. Her hometown was Canaveral Groves, Florida. Her family, which included her dad, sister, and stepmother, were not home when she went into the house.
2: She was changing out of her school clothes. She was in her room where she heard a sound, and it made her kind of stop and start looking around. And in her room, she saw a large man with a razor knife. This man went on to rape her, not once, but twice, cut her face and body 65 times over a 45-minute time span. That's a long time. That's basically torture. He then closed fist, punched her in the face. He went through her purse trying to find any valuables, money, anything like that, and He leaves the residence. So she's scared. She's hurt. She's alone. She calls her boyfriend, who immediately comes and gets her, takes her to the local hospital. And the doctors and nurses there, of course, did a rape kit and treated her physical injuries.
1: So the police were called to the hospital, where she gave the best description as she could. Now, remember, this was a very traumatic event for her. She's tortured, essentially, for a little bit over an hour, getting all of these cuts. And what she told them was a man, he was about six to six two, and he was very muscular because she was guesstimating about 200 pounds. He had hazel eyes and a receding hairline. To add to this, the hair that he did have was long and blonde. Now the police conducted a search of her room and took sheets into evidence Now, on the sheets, they did find two pubic hairs, and they did not locate anything else that would help them biologically, through DNA, find him. He didn't leave any other clues.
2: Four days later, Smith, again, that's what we're calling the victim, was with her sister and stopped by a local gas station, little convenience store, to grab some drinks and a snack. Well, she goes in the store and she stops because she sees a man who resembled the man who had attacked her. And when she showed her sister, she's like, hey, that's the guy. Her sister's like, I know him. We went to the same elementary school as kids. So her sister starts pressing her. She's like, is that him? Are you sure? And she said, no, that's not him. But he looks very similar. And then they left the store, and Smith refused to call the police. She was like, no, I, I, I can't be certain, and I'm just, I'm not ready to do that yet. So a few days later, Smith returns to the store, and she sees this same man again, the one who resembled her attacker. This time, she does call the police, and she scheduled a meeting with a detective to explain what and who she saw. At this point, she gives the name Walter Hedge. And she's saying, you know, my sister knows him. I, I, at first, I wasn't sure it was him, but now I think it might be. And just to put this out there, the real last name of Walter is not Hedge, but actually Dedge.
1: On January 8th, 1992, Walter was arrested for the rape and the attack of this 17-year-old child. With no other evidence, they released him. However, during a photo lineup, the victim picks out Walter's older brother, Wilton. Now, Wilton did have some same physical similarities as her attacker. He did have long blonde hair, but he was only 5'5", and he weighed about 125 pounds. Not very muscular at all. You're very lean. You, you're not CrossFit or anything. And just a little bit about Wilton. Now, he lived with his mom and dad in Port St. John Town. He did not have a high school degree, and he worked little jobs all around the town. On December 8th, the day of the attack... He was working in a mechanic shop installing and repairing transmission. Now, the garage was just located about 15 miles away from New Smyrna Beach, which was where her house was located.
2: He did not have any kind of criminal record. He hadn't really been in any trouble. And quite frankly, he was shocked that he was picked out of the photo lineup he was backed with several witnesses at the shop saying no he's been here all day it couldn't have been him and he remembers thinking and this is a quote here i knew i was innocent so i knew it would get cleared up my parents are law abiding people i was raised to believe in the legal system i knew it would get straightened out so again we're seeing as we've seen a few times throughout this like okay it's a bit of a mess but the right thing is is going to happen i'm not too worried about it so The authorities turned their attention to the physical evidence and they started to examine the pubic hairs that they found. They concluded that one of them did belong to the victim, but the other one was not definitive to Wilton. There were some similarities, but there were also some differences as well. And the experts argued that even though there were differences, this is a quote, the differences were not sufficient to entirely eliminate DEDGE as a possible
1: source. So three months go by and now enters our friend Preston and his dogs. Now you may remember this guy from our previous episode. Preston had Wilton wash his hands and dry them with a paper towel in the bathroom of the courthouse. Wilton dries his hands on the towels, and the investigator takes the towels in his own hand, puts them in a paper bag once the towels were dry. So now we have now contaminated the evidence because the investigator touched them as well. To test for the scent, they waited eight days before they brought in our good puppy Harass Two, and run a scent for run a scent test. Now Harass Two smelled the bag they had placed our victim's bed sheets in a bag. They had placed several bags in a row, so you have his scent in his paper bag on one side of the room. On the other side of the room, you had our victim's bed sheets and several other bags that he could smell. And his job was to match the one with the hand towel to the bed sheets. That's their goal, that's what they're going for. Now harass to smelled the bag. It took two times going up and down the the lineup of the bags for harassed to stop at Miss Smith's sheets. Interesting note, our victim sheets were bloody from the attack. There was not a mention whatsoever if the other sheets in the other bags were bloody. So It could have been that they weren't and he was smelling the blood, which was why he stopped. And also, let's take into account dogs can only smell scent for two weeks. They cannot smell it three months when this test was conducted down the road. If you have a dog that can smell a scent, In three months after the fact, you got a damn good hunting dog. So I wonder what that means for
2: like cadaver dogs. Because let's say that a body has been decomposing
1: underground for several months. They can pick up on that. So I wonder if that's... Because it's active. The smell is still active. Your body is still in that process of releasing... This is going to be graphic. Releasing gases and the smell. Right. So a dog can pick that up. But... Think of it like a hunting dog. You take your dog to go quail hunting or deer hunting. If a deer has not walked by within a couple of days, that dog's not going to know he's not going to smell it because so two weeks wind. after
2: the scent has been active. Right, gotcha. So now the odds are stacked against Wilton Dedge, so he's got this eyewitness saying that it was him. Of course, that was the victim, even though the height and weight is wrong. The pubic hair had differences and harassed too. the dog hit on this bloody sheet after three months. So he, it, it's not looking too good for him at this point. So let's get into these three points that the prosecution put forward. Let's talk about these a little bit deeper.
1: So the first one let's talk about is the eyewitness testimony. And her positive identification of him. Now she said her attacker was a large man. He's very muscular. He looked like a construction worker. He even had enough strength to throw her and pin her down. Also, hazel eyes, receding hairline. He had long blonde hair. In one statement to the police, she even thought he was bald. So, you want to imagine like the halo situation that sometimes men get where they grow ear or grow hair up to their ears but not on top.
2: And also he's only an inch taller than the victim and he has blue eyes. He's smaller. He did have more full hair and he enjoyed surfing. He had a lean body as opposed to that muscular body that was originally talked about. Now, let's be clear here, this is the victim. She has been traumatized, that's not to fault her for getting that wrong. The body does all sorts of interesting things after trauma, not faulting her at all.
1: But right now with Wilton and with what she initially said as the attacker are sounding completely different. The only similarity is the blonde hair. And Wilton had you know, very thick hair. And he's several inches shorter and skinnier and thinner and leaner than what she said because, you know, could Wilton pick her up, throw her right. and pin her down?
2: So then let's talk about the next piece of evidence, which was the pubic hair. And the victim's pubic hair was an exact match to her. Okay, they were able to say yes. However, I do think that now, meaning in recent times, the past few years, hair analysis has gotten a little more debatable. I don't want to say that it's not reliable at all, but it it has been brought more into question in recent years. But the one that they were trying to match to the assailant had similarities to Dej, but it also had differences. So the prosecutor in court actually claimed that it was a perfect match. So at this point, we know that's not true. We know that he's, he's lying. I mean, there's no other way to say it. He's lying, saying that, that it matches him. Now, part of it does, but part of it doesn't. And he didn't even acknowledge that at all.
1: Now, part of it may match for male. It may match for his ethnicity. And that could be the similarities they're talking about. But what it doesn't match could be texture or color. There's so many other things that went wrong with this. Now for the third point is the dog. Dog scent hits for criminal trials has never been confirmed science or proven to a way that IDs people. They are a true asset when locating a missing person since the time they are brought in or very soon after the person actually goes missing, not three months down the road. Also, drug dogs, again, are amazing. They're doing a great job, but the drugs are there. It's an active scent. And in researching this, I fell into the biggest rabbit hole you could about dog scent. I found that A dog is more likely to hit. A certified, trained dog with a certified, trained handler can detect it if it is less than two weeks old. The more time that passes, the more it dissipates. Think of like a soap or a shampoo or a lotion because when you put it on, it's a really strong smell, but over time it dissipates. If the assailant had a certain shampoo or a certain lotion on or deodorant on, that's going to affect it. And if our pinned guy, the guy that they arrested, had the same type of deodorant, that could play into effect. But the older the scent is, the likelihood of a dog hitting correctly, greatly diminishes. And the defense tried to debunk this whole dog evidence, and the judge just flat out denied the motion. Wouldn't even hear it. So, on the flip side, let's talk about the defense. We know that they are fighting the
2: dog evidence with a lot of the talking points that Jen just brought up. And they bring in four witnesses who testified that Wilton was in the garage working on transmissions all day long. And the shop owner himself even said, hey, when I closed up for the day, Wilton was there and we all went for drinks afterwards. So it's not even like he was with us just during work. I'm talking the entire day. We knew where he was. Also, the garage was relatively small and it was estimated to be about the size of like a regular house lot. And it would have been very noticeable if someone left and returned from the shop. They would have heard the car. They would have seen him come and go. And Wilton also was never seen with blood on him. The attacker cut Miss Smith 65 times with a razor type knife. So we've also talked about this in some of our episodes. It's conceivable that the blood would have been transferred to the attacker during the attack, which we talked about in the episode with the mother and son, where the mother ended up going to jail because of that. And also, an attacker using a knife, oftentimes they get cut as well because, like Jen said back in that episode, the force of the knife... It, your hand slides down, you've got slippery blood, and they get cut in a lot of scenarios,
1: too. And no one saw any blood on Wilton throughout the day. The jury, after hearing all of the evidence, the witnesses, the dog testimony, and how it was, you know, quite frankly, debunked in the trial, only deliberated for four hours. They came back with a guilty verdict for rape and robbery. He was sentenced to 30 years in prison, and we're going to find out a little bit more about him and his case and his fight for justice when we get back.
0: 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. When your body changes, your care should, too. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com. Lucky Land Casino, asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess?
2: Haha, in my dentist's office.
1: right, guys, welcome back. We're going to get a little bit more into Wilton's appeal and process for justice. Now, his parents began the process of his first appeal. They claimed the sent testimony was faulty and should have never been used. They argued that Preston was not the expert in the field. Another court, the appeals court, reviewed the appeal and offered the opinion that the trial court was the determining factor if a person's really an expert. So you're in court, your first trial, that judge has to say yes or no, I'll accept it as expert testimony. But the court did say that because the trial court failed to review the defense evidence against the expert, Wilton was allowed a second trial. And he went back to court in August of 1984. The defense geared up and studied hard on sent testimony, and quite frankly, they were prepared to fight. They looked at Preston's testimony for other trials, and that they saw that Preston would, quote, say just about anything. His previous testimonies were inconsistent, in some cases absolutely outrageous. And unsupported in a great number of other causes. So enter here the last episode because
2: we talked about this already and how another judge flat out said, you know, this guy is just a complete quack. You can't trust anything he says. This is, he's doing this for money and no other reason, basically. So this is where the last story greatly ties into this one because they're going back. And that's one of the cases that they looked at to determine like, hey, this guy's track record is actually pretty terrible.
1: Yeah, I think it was the Arizona Supreme Court that called him a charlatan. So let's talk about Preston a little
2: bit more, he had claimed that he was part of the United States Canine Association and that he had 540 hours of training. Well, in reality, he only got about 250 hours. That's literally less than half the time. You literally just doubled your training hours and no one else used him. Only that county's prosecution. So when he's saying, I'm an expert, I've got all this experience." Well, it was with the same group. It's not like he had all this varied knowledge, varied field work. It was all coming from the same place. But
1: you know, it almost it almost sounds like that prosecution had a deal with him because exactly. he was they, he was someone's relative, or or they just wanted to get the result that they wanted, it, and he was the guy to do it. Yeah,
2: but even the prosecution who used him, never validated his claims or confirmed his findings. So they were like, look, we're going to bring you in, but we're not going to stake our own reputation on it. Whatever you say, that's on you. So Preston also claimed that harassed to, again, if you're just joining this episode, and you haven't heard the last one. Harass2 is the name of the dog. There was Harass1 who passed away, and then Harass2. And he said that Harass2 can even track a six year old scent, track a subject over asphalt up to three weeks after a crime, and even tell where a person entered and exited a building. So, if any of you out there hunt, That would be awesome, right? That would be a really handy dog to have. You could just follow the the scent of the deer right through the woods, and there you
1: go. I mean. Exactly. I mean, or even a missing person. Yeah. Wouldn't you just love to have this incredible dog? But as Jen said, evidence
2: does not support that. Research does not support that. At least that we have found. We found a lot to the contrary.
1: But. absolutely. Now, the defense was absolutely ready for Preston. He is geared up. He did his research. He pointed out that there were tons of errors in Preston's claims. The first one was that several investigators handled the paper bag with Wilton's paper towels in it. Not only that, they stored it in a storage locker next to the bloody sheets. They were right there next to each other. Jeez. Now, Preston just responded that the scent could not possibly transfer through a paper bag. This guy has never eaten Milo's. Or McDonald's you, or anything
2: for that matter, matter.
1: I mean, you can smell the food inside of a Milo's paper bag from a half a mile radius, and that's the best burger you'll ever have. <laughs>
2: <laughs> if you're not from the South, it's or even Alabama, isn't it? Alabama only?
1: It, I think so, but they have their tea everywhere, but their hamburgers are absolutely amazing.
2: Then the defense brings up that Preston's dog supposedly can smell scent through a suspect's leather shoes on asphalt, but he's saying smell doesn't transfer through a paper bag. So how does that work? You're saying that six weeks later, you can smell something, but you can't smell what's in a paper bag. And Six
1: years. Six years later. Yeah. So.
2: He's faced with these questions, and he has to admit that, okay, those two things are ridiculous. My bad.
1: The prosecution had an ace up their sleeve. Now enters the jailhouse snitch. Of course. You have an innocently convicted man because there are crap experts for the defense. They get a retrial, and always during the retrial, they have a jailhouse snitch. Well, this one's name is Clarence Zach. Now, a little bit about our friend, Mr. Zach. He was a seven-time felon and a known snitch for the prosecution. No, seven-time felon. He was on a 180-year sentence for three murder-for-hire charges. Not one, which is bad enough. Three. He had worked on a hitman to take out a witness for a drug case against him. Then he tried to get someone to kill the hitman. Then he hired another person to kill the prosecutor who convicted him just to get even. This is not a nice guy. Clarence and Wilton had shared a very short prison ride to the courthouse on one day. There, Wilton supposedly opened his heart and confessed everything and said, I just raped and cut up some old hog,
0: Eesh.
2: yikes that's that's just vile verbiage i don 't know that just makes my skin crawl, but apparently Wilton had been told by his attorney not to say one word to anyone. clearance this is our our snitch had been used before by the prosecution team, okay, same prosecution team. And this was in a previous case where a mentally ill man was on his second trial for dozens of murders that he confessed to. Now, a great portion of these were discarded because it was obvious that they were just none of it added up. He, he was mentally ill and it just it it didn't fit. But this man and Clarence shared a moment in prison where the man confessed everything. Now, on the stand in this case, he gave crime scene details which only the killer and the police knew. And this testimony sent this mentally ill man to death row. Only later in life did Clarence retract the statement and said, hey, it was made up He said, I was given case details and a script to read from two people from the prosecution team. Unfortunately, it was a little too late, and the man was
1: electrocuted, and that sentence was fulfilled. So back to Wilton and his case. During the second trial, Clarence gave details of the case that Wilton claimed that even he didn't know about. Clarence even told the jury that Wilton claimed that after finishing his shift at the garage, he got on his motorcycle, traveled the 50 miles to the victim's house, going over 160 miles an hour, committed the 45-minute attack, and came back without anyone noticing at the bar that night and where they had drinks and dinner. He added more to his story, saying that when Wilton gets out of the jail, that he was going to go back and finish the job on our victim. Since we can assume Wilson never confessed to Clarence, how did he get the case information? Now, there's a theory that the same prosecutor gave all the information about the case to Clarence. Now, remember, they rode to the courthouse together. It was found out that Clarence didn't have any reason to be at court. Mm. He didn't have a hearing that day. It really smells to me, my personal opinion, That it was a setup. So basically, it sounds like someone
2: crafted a reason to have him go to the courthouse so that he could ride with them because they know this guy is a snitch. He snitched for them in the past. They know he'll do it again. And they're able to give him the details that he needs to sound legitimate. That's terrible. Now, of course, the prosecution denies any wrongdoing or misconduct, Clarence was granted his request after his testimony because, you know, he's not just going to do this without, you know, you scratch my back, I scratch yours type thing. And this time, Wilton takes the stand himself. He calls Clarence a bold-faced liar and reiterates how all the physical characteristics of the attacker are completely different than his own. The defense goes back and focuses on the pubic hair, but the prosecution... Tells the jury, this is a quote here, the pubic hair was identical to some of Dudge's hairs, identical in every single aspect. So we have hairs from this defendant that are identical to, in every characteristic, the pubic hair from this sheet. Again, we already know this is a lie.
1: Yeah, we know for a fact it, it did not test absolute. And
2: one other question that I have is if this guy is a known snitch, and they know that the prosecution fed him information in this last case. Why did they let them work together again? Why did they allow that?
1: I don't know. I mean, this court system has had issues. This is the same court system that tried and gave a guilty verdict to our last guy. Yeah. So, I mean, this system, this, well, it's it may just be, it is it's absolutely broken at that time. Yeah. Or during the time of this trial, it was definitely had some faults. The jury of all men took seven hours to deliberate and they did come back with a guilty verdict using Clarence's testimony. The judge increased his sentence to life in prison. And he did this because of the conversation. He's going to come when he gets out of jail, he's going to kill the victim. That's why they increased it to life. Now, once In prison, Wilton selected to stay in solitary confinement as much as possible. Now, he preferred solitary confinement because he felt in real danger in the general population. His parents never lost hope. They paid for all the appeals to be done. They had to take out a second mortgage. They drained their savings accounts, and they drained their retirement's accounts. They spent every single cent For their son.
2: But Wilton also never gave up hope and he wrote to lawyer after lawyer asking for help. And only one of them replied back. Unfortunately, this one replied back with a no, and the others didn't even bother. A few years later, in 1986, Wilton was transferred to a different prison, which was a little bit safer as far as the general population. And while he was there, he took classes, he got college credits from a community college, and he took up welding. And he started to pick up all these skills that he intended to use because he was hopeful still that he would get out and things would be made right. Now, this was in 1986. And we know that not too, too terribly long after, although it probably felt it to him, DNA testing was starting to become more reliable, more accessible, and it was having huge impacts across the court system. So in 88, Wilton asked the state to test these pubic hairs, which the prosecution had rested this whole last case on. They're saying it's identical. Of course, at this time, the state says no, it's, it's, we're still kind of in that phase where it's transitioning to, okay, we know it's there, but we're a little uncomfortable with it. And six years went by before Wilton decided to reach out to the Innocence Project. After that initial contact, it took three years, but Peter Newfled took on his case in 1995. They also assigned Milton Hirsch as the local attorney to help Wilton pro bono.
1: Now, the first thing that this new lawyer wanted to do was test the rape kit that was taken by the victim, which included the hairs. He filed a motion to have it tested. He researched Preston and harassed him and found out that the postal inspector would not even use his services. Now, stop right there because that's for drugs. They use those for drugs.
2: And like you said, and bombs. Jen, and bombs, yes. And like you said, those are active scents. Those are not what we're talking about here where time has passed. And so they won't even use him for active sense. That says something.
1: And the reason why they didn't is because it came from an internal investigation in 1983 by the Special Investigations Division of the Chief Postal Inspector's Office. So it sounds like they already had issues and they had questions. So they did this big investigation into Preston and decided, you know what, he's not worth the hill of beans. It was also uncovered that Preston helped wrongfully convict 40 other cases. People, if it was a single defendant case, went to jail, maybe wrongly because of his dog and his treatment or his testing. Preston since has been disgraced and discredited. But unfortunately, none of this happened until after Wilton's second trial. So now let's get into the DNA. Okay, now Wilton would have been the, one of the very first people to ask for DNA testing in the state of Florida which would include a long legal legislation fight. Now, legislation allowed for DNA testing for people already convicted to prove their innocence on appeal. For sake of time and to keep you listening, because it was a huge long-out legal battle, just know that the prosecution fought to hell and back not to get it tested. To the point, the judge looked at the prosecution and said to them, and quote." Let me ask you a hypothetical question. If you knew with 100% certainty that this man was absolutely innocent, would that change your position on the case? The state assistant attorney general responded with no. So at this point, it's very clear that they
2: don't care about the truth. They don't care about putting an assailant behind bars. They care about their credibility, and that is absolutely infuriating. The DNA testing was finally approved and the results concluded that Wilton, surprise, surprise, was not the donor of the hair or of the biological evidence in the rape kit. But remember the legislation that was passed. The state argued that since it was passed after Wilton's request for DNA to be tested, it can't apply to him. So here we go back into another legal battle. It took three more years of fighting the courts, but Wilton was able to walk out of the jail a free man on August 12, 2004.
1: This was after serving 22
2: years in jail.
1: Now to even to add insult to this already hurt family. They were broke because of the extensive legal fees. Wilton filed suit with courts, but lost for post-conviction relief. He had to take it to the legislator. And finally, he was awarded $2 million in 2005. But when your parents both spent all of their 401k, all of their retirement, all of their savings, you don't have a 401k. You don't have a retirement plan because you were in prison for 22 years. Right. That $2 million is nothing. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, he will be working and scrapping for money for the rest of his life. I
2: am just absolutely floored by the fact that Preston alone caused 40 people who were later found to have been wrongfully convicted to go to prison. And that was 40 people who were determined to have been convicted on his testimony. Not just oh he participated in their case, but the jury said, "Oh, that man convinced
1: us." Or more yet, 40 people who went free. Yeah. Who should have been behind bars. Absolutely. That's terrifying. It's infuriating.
2: It's just I mean, there's no words. It's it's very, very sad. And you know, a victim went without justice for 22 years as well. And like you said, as of, I mean, at that point, they, I'm not sure if they've actually caught the person yet or not, but if they haven't, that's somebody else running
1: around out there. Yeah, I could not find anything about the true person getting caught. I, I don't, he, you know, maybe they're sitting in jail right now and there's not that CODIS hit yeah and maybe hopefully they're in jail, and they just haven't been found out yet. That is my biggest hope. If not, it scares me to death to think that someone like that is still out here well, and with
2: that, and I'm no expert, but you just randomly showed up in someone's house caught her stabbed her basically 60 some odd times to me that doesn't sound like someone who just did it in the heat of the moment you went out looking for that so my guess would be is that that's a repeat offender that's not somebody she knew that was mad at her otherwise she would have been able to identify them and say oh that was you know whoever so that's that's really scary
1: And we're talking small-town Florida towns. We're not talking Miami. We're not talking Orlando. These are small community towns.
2: Clearly, you can see the tie-in from the last case, since both of these men were among the 40 people that Preston and Harass, Two sent to jail when they were actually not involved. But we do have a new Patreon supporter that we want to welcome to the club. Mikkel, we want to thank you so much for your support. Your goodies have been mailed. You should have them soon. And hopefully you will be able to join us tonight on Zoom at 7 p.m. We're going to post the link. Hopefully by the time you hear this, it'll be posted. But we look forward to chatting with you soon.
1: Yeah, and you know Lindsay mailed it because she probably used like six stamps.
2: (laughs) I did three. (laughs) Technically, I only need to, but I still haven't gotten past it. I just, I can't do it. I can't. Are you still using your weed I am still using my weed scale. (laughs) I am. My trusty weed scale. That's why I put the extra stamp. I just don't trust it. There's something off about it. (laughs) Bless it. And another confession, we we don't have a question tonight. (laughs) So I apologize for that.
1: No, Lindsay's had a really, really rough week which we'll probably get into Patreon tonight. So if you want to hear about Lindsay's Craft Week, log in. You're going to have to because it is. Lord. it'll take more time than what we have.
2: Probably. But the bright spot is, is that we got a new puppy because, you know, I didn't have quite enough pets. But we did get a brand new puppy this week. She's Well, now she's 13 weeks old. We don't know what she is because she was a rescue, but she's all black. Somebody mentioned that she looks like she's a mix of a Doxy and a Lab. But we really don't know, but she's adorable. Her name is Lilo she long she is she's way longer than she is tall.
1: yeah, she a long dog, and she has a you got long a dot-sy. Neck and big paws yeah, you got a dotsy. you're so cute. I love my little dotsy, yeah. All right, guys, COVID is running. Super excited. A vaccine is now in the U.S. and it is starting to be distributed. But guys, wash your hands, wear your mask. And above all else, just do the best you can for you and yours and stay safe. Absolutely. So we will be back with one more episode before our break. All right. Felicia's gone. Bye. Bye, guys.
2: This is going to be a challenge.
1: (laughs) A little bit. Um... Good night, I love you too. Give me a kiss and go to bed. (laughs) I love you. Miga was standing at the door. She was, okay. Thank you. Little nugget.
2: This puppy just peed. Hang on.
1: Sure, take your time. Really? Really? You just went out. He did have a high school... He did the <laughs> book. Three months go by, and our good friend Preston. Hey, buddy. What's up? Yes? Your Fortnite PJs? <laughs> they are downstairs in my room next to the basket, if not in the basket, on my side of the bed. Harassed to sent or dog scent hit. Since the time they're. Mm, and they sentence this guy. <laughs> Are you done?
0: <laughs> Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered chumbacasino.com.
1: It's my little escape.
0: Now Judy's the life of the party.
1: Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon.
0: Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. <laughs>